Hey, before we start this episode, just want to remind you that the Fearless Woman's Guide to Starting a Business is available everywhere that you like to buy books, and you can get it in paperback, Kindle, and even as an audiobook. I'll have links on where you can purchase in the podcast notes. Okay, back onto the show. You are listening to One Broken Mom, a podcast dedicated to raising awareness about mental health, parenting, and self-improvement. I'm the host, Ami Quirconi. One Broken Mom is not a family show. It is intended for adults only and may contain adult language. Sometimes the topics are serious, but you can count on the episodes to be entertaining. Also, One Broken Mom is not offering any psychiatric or medical diagnosis. We're just here giving away useful and important information. So if you're ready to hear real talk by real people so that we can all get better together, then you're in the right place and welcome. All right, everybody, welcome to, this is, I can't even remember, season three, season four, When Broken Mom, I, who knows? Um, you might notice a couple of things that are different. Um, one of the things is my background. Also, I cut my hair in 2020 because that's what we do when we're coping with lots of things. Um, and I have on my show with me today, a guest that you guys are all familiar with. It's Dr. Elizabeth Cohen. She's out of New York. Um, she was on about a year ago. We actually did an episode talking about feeling trapped by the pandemic. And we recorded that back in April of 2020 when it, stay-at-home orders were just happening. Elizabeth is based actually out on the East Coast um, in the New York, New Jersey area. So that at that point in time was really heavily being um, consumed by uh, the coronavirus and um, she's on today again with us because not only is she a fabulous repeat guest that you guys all love to hear about, but she's the author of a new book coming out called The Light on the Other Side of Divorce, Discovering the New You, which is going to be available for pre-order right now. And it's going to be released on April 13th of 2021. So welcome back, Liz. Thank you so much for having me on me. I love being with your audience. Oh, so cool. And so have you been, I mean, like, you know, we, we touched base in April and then you and I have emailed each other back and forth. And I know you've been busy with the book activity, which has been really exciting to watch, but you know, how did, you know, how's everything been shaping up for you in the last year? Well, it's really interesting to reflect on that conversation we had in April. And I remember how, um, you know, emotional that was. And I, I continuously talk to clients every day and share that it's okay that you're still struggling. And so to think, you know, that we're coming up on the year anniversary, at least now when we're recording this and that people, that things got worse than we thought in April. I mean, it, it really feels like every time I look back, I think, oh, I didn't realize how good I had it back then. <laughs> so I kind of feel like, um, it has been quite, it has been quite a whirlwind. Um, it has been hard personally. It has been hard professionally. Um, and I've been really trying to take it one hour at a time and mm -hmm. be really careful also of not overworking to cope, which I don't know, you know, that's certainly a trauma response for me that, um, working, performing well in school, that was a way to stay safe. And I have found sometimes during this pandemic that I'm, I'm doing that a little bit. And so I'm really trying to kind of keep that in check personally. Oh yeah, no, I feel that, um, you know, and it's, it, it's funny, not funny. I mean, funny is such a terrible word, but I think sometimes we know when we really mean it's funny. 
Um, but you're right. Like back in April, um, I, I remember one of the things that you had shared in that conversation, which stuck with me, which was, you know, inviting all the emotions like guests to a dinner table, you know, and sitting with them and that, that that's actually, you know, a very healthy thing to do. And when you think about what happened in 2020, that then towards the end of May, you know, just a month after our conversation, it would be the murder of George Floyd coming on the heels of, you know, so many other, uh, you know, brutalities against black Americans that, you know, it was kind of like, okay, we had a chance to kind of start to shoulder our emotions before everybody got hit with this wave, because I know that knocked me on my, my ass, like just yes. the overwhelm of all of that. Um, not even imagining, I mean, I, you know, I, everybody knows I'm white, so I can't even imagine all of that, you know, as being a person of color, but it was still just like profound. And then after that, you go into the elections and then the after, and it was just like one, just tidal wave after tidal wave. And I I feel grateful that in 2020, we got them in chunks (laughs) instead of honestly, like all within a 30 day period, because I, you know, who knows, you know, even being strong-minded or having an awareness of what, you know, what we should do or how to be mentally healthy. It was still way too much, like a lot going on. And it's still also in our nervous system, right? So we're still holding those invisible blankets. You know, certainly people who are from systemically oppressed populations walk around with it all the time. You know, us as white people kind of got a a peak of it last year, but we'll never know the intensity as you're saying, but we're, we haven't integrated it. You know, the car accident is not over. We still, the cars haven't even hit. We're not through this. And And clients keep saying like, why aren't I getting more used to this? And I keep saying, we do not want you to get used to trauma. Like that is not a place we want you to get used to, but the needing to remind, it's so interesting how people just, we abandon ourselves so quickly and think, what am I doing wrong? Rather than look at how, how well I'm doing during an incredibly difficult time. Mm -hmm. No, that's, and that's, that's fantastic. I mean, that is true. It is a good reminder of that, that, um, you know, we, we can't get through this as quickly as we want. And, you know, and it kind of ties in with the topic today on divorce and what we're going to talk about, which is the, you know, feelings of shame and guilt that can come with making decisions around, you know, choosing to divorce. And, you know, and as, as I was prepping for this interview and writing some of the questions, of course, I have to think about my multiple divorces (laughs) that I have. Um, and how still, even at the conclusion of one of these relationships, it's been years, you know, since the relationship ended and since, you know, and over a year since the divorce is finalized, there's still a lot of negative anger inside of my body. Um, and then you add compounding to this, what we're talking about here, which is, you know, the trauma of a pandemic, the trauma of, you know, life being completely altered for so many people, whether it's economically, um, you know, job security. And then on top of that, like we had, you know, had broached on this in April, which is, you know, when you're trapped in relationships yeah. with people that are unhealthy for you, how that can be overwhelming in itself. Yeah. Um, and so you're right. Like, you know, we have to realize that although we're a society of instant gratification, you know, these things do take time, you know, yes. to, to navigate. Yeah, you know. just, and it is a really good comparison to deciding whether to end your relationship, but it does not happen overnight. We do not make these decisions about whether we're going to dissolve a marriage because of one fight or because mm-hmm. of one experience. And so I think we are really looking for, in many parts of our life, a very definitive answer when we are so much more nuanced. I mean, that's the good news. We are nuanced beings and we are not, it's not black and white. Mm -hmm. Right. 
So when we talk about divorce, there's obviously a million subtopics that go along with it, but I wanted to start with the beginning um, Mm -hmm. because despite, like I said, being a seasoned divorcee um, and having had three legal divorces under my belt, which, you know, I'm still not the expert here on divorce. Um, And what I noticed is that one of the hardest things around it was making that decision and fighting this inner war of feeling a little guilty, um, feeling ashamed, plus this outer war of having people in, you know, the circle that are trying to encourage you to maybe keep trying at it and keep working on it. And maybe, have you done this yet? And have you guys tried this and have you, you know, whatever it is. And so, you know, how does somebody finally make an, an evaluation or decision about divorce that it is truly the right thing to do when it may be unclear. And and what I mean by clarity is, you know, if you're in an an abusive or life-threatening situation, that answer is clear, but even then the decision still is not, doesn't feel clear. So what do you counsel people when they come to you about like, I'm not sure if I should do this and, and they're, and they're battling, you know, all those initial feelings inside. Yeah. Um, such an important question. And I hear that all the time. I think I start with the, premise that I think is very revolutionary for people, which is that um, there are actually three positions to be in. I'm ready to leave. I'm not ready to leave. And I don't know. And not knowing is actually a stance and it's actually a position. And I think a lot of people feel that that's wrong again, because it's all or nothing. Um, but actually that's where you are. So how can we explore, you know, my first question would be what, what's it like to not know? What does that feel like for you? How do you walk around in the world with that? Um, and really kind of accepting that stance instead of shaming it. Um, you know, I think that a lot of the stigma of divorce, which I try to fight so hard against, you know, really comes from the stigma that we're only filled in a relationship. And so it kind of starts earlier. And so the idea is you need to know if you want in or out because relationship is the most important. And the truth is if we, if we shift the focus to my own presence of mind and grounding in myself will help me heal the world and others better. And that's my goal, not a relationship. Then the answers I think become clearer. It's just that we focus so much on keeping this interestingly, I mean, this like monogamous, um, you know, it's usually very heteronormative, um, relationship where that is not, if that's not the goal, then, then there's a lot less of shame. So I try to kind of, you know, pull those pieces apart too. Mm -hmm. Well, and the things that I've seen people do, which is, um, you know, again, those external factors that can weigh into somebody, which is hearing people, you know, uh, insist, you know, that, you know, we used to, you know, real couples work on it or, you know, back in the old days, we weren't so quick to be dismissive, you know, of our relationships. And we tried harder, you know, as if there's some romantic notion that, you know, life was perfect, you know, decades ago and that, you know, our culture's corrupted today. Um, instead of viewing it as, well, thank God we can get out of it because before women didn't have a choice, you know, or right, they, exactly. right? Um, right. but we still see that perpetrated out there with it. And, you know, that voice kind of working in your head, you know, do you, do you talk with people about how they can respond to that when it, it, it feels to them? Like, 
you know, they, they have that, again, that inner war of, I hear what you're saying. And am I not trying hard enough? Like, am I being dismissive? But yet it feels like I really do need to do something about this and I need to leave, Uh, you know, what's your, what's your advice to them and how they can handle that with all the people coming at them with all this, you know, air quotes around it. Well-meaning advice. Yeah. Yeah. Great question. You know, I think I'm going to tell you a little, you know, therapist secret, which is that most things that come out of people's mouths are simply a projection of their own shit. So if you walk around thinking that other people um, know better about you than you, which is what a lot of us and I myself too, a recovering codependent feel, then you are going to be very swayed by what other people say, because you're going to want to agree with them. And you're going to think, oh, they must know me better. However, most people are giving advice based on themselves. When I was going through a divorce, I would go to the playground. I had two, you know, a one-year-old and a three-year-old and people would hear through the grapevine that I was getting divorced. And they would, people would come over to me and say one of two things, either, oh my God, I'm so sorry. That must be so awful and so hard. And I would think in my head, okay, that person like is happy in their marriage and would never want to end their relationship. And then other people would come over to 50% would come over and say, how'd you do that? How are you, how did you manage to like get out of that with these two young kids? Ready to take notes. <laughs> exactly. I was like, okay, well you have this experience, right? So it, it had nothing to do with me. I was literally a projection, a projective test, like a Rorschach and they were just putting their feelings on me. And so I really would encourage people to have one or two people in my book. I talk about this, these different gradations of friends and like what people are in your life for. And you know, those cheerleaders, you know, those people who believe you can do anything. If you leave the person If you stay like you're going to be amazing, those are the people you talk to when you're in doubt. Don't talk to what I call the naysayers. Like for some reason, I don't know what the social psychology bit is. I have to look into this. We go, I think it's confirmation bias. I think we go to people who we know are going to disagree with us. And we think if we convince them, then we must really be right. But really we're just going down a road of feeling like shit. And Mm -hmm. so we have some control. I would say, I always tell people, you have control over who you're talking to. Don't, if that person hasn't been supportive in the past, and we can really usually guess what most people are going to say, don't go to them. Mm-hmm. Well, you, and you, the confirmation bias just, you know, kind of perked up there too, uh, yeah. for me, because thinking about this, that, um, you know, sometimes I felt like I wanted somebody to talk me out of my decision. And so seeking that advice was talking me out of my decision, you know, I, because there was the shame. So there were two voices for me. Mm-hmm. One was I did not want to end up like my mother who mm-hmm. had been married and divorced several times. Mm-hmm. So every time I entered into a relationship, I swore to God, it was the last fucking time I was getting married. Like, this is it come hell or high water. I'm going to work it. But then when the inevitability for a million other reasons, like I was, you know, wrong partners, wrong, you know, wrong mm-hmm. life choices everywhere, it was going to fail anyways. Um, and then it was, but I don't want to be this person. Uh, you know, I, I refuse to accept that. Yes. And that was then, but then there was a part of like, but man, it sure feels crappy right now. And like talking to yourself in the morning of like, this is unhealthy. I've got to go, but I don't know how to do this. Yeah. And then getting advice from people that confirm for you. Yeah, no, you should totally keep working on it. And, yeah. and you know, and it was like, okay, I've got to stop doing that. Exactly. Like, stop people who are, who are feeding that voice instead of me feeding the one that really feels authentic to me, which is get the hell out and don't worry about right. the shame of getting divorced again. Right. right? I mean, I wonder if you've heard this before. Have you heard that when we feel selfish and when we feel guilty, it's usually a sign that we're do- taking care of a boundary for ourselves. 
that we're Hmm. doing really what's right for us. We just have this societal or familial or friend pressure to do something different. Yeah. Lindsay Gibson, who's been on the show a bunch of times, the adult uh, children of emotionally immature parents, she is like, that's one of her like core things. It's like that feeling of selfishness that when you did assert yourself, your parents or caregivers around you that couldn't hold their, you know, like couldn't differentiate between your needs and their needs, you know, told you to stop. So yeah, no, I feel that one. (laughs) Yes. Yes. So I think that comes up also when you think, oh, I shouldn't be leaving or who, you know, who am I, or I should wait until the kids are out of the house or all these ways that we tell ourselves not to do what our heart is telling us to do. And I, I, you know, call the women in my program, the super women, because I believe that either deciding that something isn't working for you and leaving or accepting that someone else isn't happy in the marriage and, and, and letting them go um, is the bravest thing you can do because it's easier to just ignore your, your intuition. We do that all the time to ignore and think I'll, I'll find happiness somewhere else. Mm-hmm. Right now, I, it, before we started talking about this, this will go into the question or the, you know, the section that I wanted to talk about, which is this whole back and forth war <laughs> is um, you know, for myself was, one to two years yes. of this inner struggle. And it's a hamster wheel. Yes. And, um, and I wish that, you know, through my enlightenment that I actually made my, my full decisions to get off the hamster wheel. A couple of times I did one time, it wasn't really my choice, but it took years to be on that hamster wheel playing yes. and playing and playing it. How can someone get themselves unstuck sooner when they're in that back and forth, back and forth, you know, what do you end up talking with your, um, you know, your people that you work with on how to take the leap off the hamster wheel and just commit. Yeah. I feel really uh, torn about this question. Um, you know, in my podcast, the divorce doctor podcast, where I interview people about their divorce stories, that's where I start that everyone, you know, most people had an extended period of time until they knew it was right. And so there's the part of me that feels um, like, I really want to honor that, that people have their process and it takes the time that it takes. Um, so I want to say that because I think there's also a lot of shame. Like I, sh- I mean, how many clients do I hear? Like I should have done this. I wasted so much time. And, you know, so I want to really be clear that it takes the time that it takes, but, and, um, I will say the one thing I think that can really help speed your healing process up, which might also shrink the time is really to stop taking the other person's inventory, you know, really focus on yourself, really um, look at your behaviors, look at the behaviors you're doing. They're going to do what they're going to do. See what boundaries you can set, see what you can do internally, either with a therapist or with a coach or with a program like mine so that you can kind of get yourself into a place that feels like you're cleaning your side of the street and kind of letting that other person then be respond to you cleaning your side of the street. That seems to, to quicken things. I think part of what elongates it is getting involved and trying to change the other person and taking their other inventory and in some ways getting distracted by external stories, which are very dramatic. Don't get me wrong. They're very, it's very easy to get distracted by them, but I think that would shorten it a bit. Mm-hmm. You mentioned earlier too, about codependency and, um, you know, and I think about, you know, the study of, um, you know, women, gender stereotypes and, uh, gender tropes, you know, as from parenting, how we're raised basically. Um, and a lot of women being raised to, uh, you know, to put their needs second to, you know, prove 
themselves in, yeah. you know, in their families, um, you know, and in my role was oldest. So then it was parentification, um, taking care of younger siblings. And that, that to me, I noticed is what followed me into the personal relationships was then taking on that parent child role of being the parent. Yeah. And as a parent, you're less likely to want to abandon the child of your partner, you know, yeah. um, which then makes that struggle even, you know, harder. Have, do you notice that being, uh, you know, um, something that you see in women that really have, uh, you know, again, that uh, again, we're talking about the shame and the guilt, because it's very early. That's one of the, um, unless it's just obvious that this guy's an asshole, you know, or this woman's an asshole and you've got to go, you mostly feel really terrible about making the choice and the decision to leave the relationship. Um, how much do you think that that sometimes plays into, you know, our grooming, you know, as we were growing up into what we believe about what our role is in relationships? Absolutely. I mean, I think, I, I think that certainly women are, um, you know, socialized to be the caretakers. I mean, we see this in research, you know, with incredibly young children. Um, And this idea of caretaking coming first, and then I'll focus on myself. And it's very subtle, right? I mean, again, we don't, you know, we don't have like our first date by bailing somebody out of jail, right? But after two years or three years, we might bail them out of jail, and think, well, of course, when am I going to leave them there? I love them. Right. So it's really important to know that it's a slow and steady kind of buildup. Like no one, I mean, most people wouldn't do that. Right. Wouldn't just jump into that kind of scenario. And it starts with really small things. Like I have a client now who, you know, her husband doesn't wake up with the kids, even though he's supposed to. And so she'll wake him up and then she'll go back and he'll be asleep and she'll wake him up again. And she'll, and we're working on like not waking him up, right. That that's not her responsibility, that her responsibility is to allow him to have his own experience and responsibility because what will happen is it'll seem very innocuous. It'll seem like, Oh, I'm just going to wake him up today, but then it's a repetitive pattern and it can lead to resentment because he's not learning on his own to wake up. So the idea is that if she continues to wake up her husband, a, he's not going to ever learn that it's his responsibility to wake up, but the resentment is going to build up. And again, it can seem like such a small thing. Just and and you mentioned the childhood, you know, if you grew up in a, in a child um, in a situation where you had to wake your parent up because maybe they had a substance abuse problem or they were as you know emotionally unavailable and mature, that might have been a survival mechanism that worked for you. So you will unconsciously do that in your relationship. The problem is that it, it really does build up. It is not, you can't just be codependent in like one behavior. That's what you think. (laughs) That's what you tell yourself, but it's not true. It's a way of interacting with the world. And the most important piece is that you abandon your own needs. So many people who come through a divorce, you know, end looking out and thinking, I don't even know what I want. I mean, I went through that. I went to this psychiatrist um, at one point and I was just so unhappy and I needed help. And I was talking with him and he didn't do this very kindly, but he just said, stop. And he said, don't mention him anymore. Tell me about you. And I had nothing to say. I didn't know anything about myself because I had focused so much on him. And what ends up happening is when you focus so much on the other person, they start getting used to that. They start expecting that. And then the stories get more intense. And then of course you have to help more. I mean, it's a vicious cycle. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, totally. And I, you know, that's, 
my, you know, after being out of the last relationship and spending time, because I had gone, which I think some people do is they have that, you know, the, after the relationship ends, the anxiety, the aloneness, the feeling, like you said, way back in the, you know, in the beginning of this interview, which is we have this idea that we are shaped by relationship that we are, you know, um, and there's positives, of course, you and I both know this, that there's positive mental attributes to the right, good, healthy relationships that they bring benefits to us, but they aren't the be all end all, you know? And, um, and I know that after taking time off, I was, you know, I saw how much and realized how much that I was giving up. And that was one of the reasons why the relationships that I'd had before failed. Cause ultimately I came into the relationship independent, having my own needs, having my own interest and desires, but eventually eroding those away to take on this, everybody else's more important role. And then having it, you know, everybody gets trained. Um, yes. or, you know, what I found was I wasn't choosing partners who expected that ultimately. And right. that was the nugget that I needed to change in myself was to recognize that, you know, um, there are qualities and partners that I love that I actually feel really comfortable around. It's my survival system. It's who I am. It's how I was, you know, growing up, but I need to do a better job of identifying the ones that will start to pull myself out and away from who I am, you know, and yes. be more mindful of that. And ever since I kind of felt like I'm starting to do a better job of that, I, you know, there's a lot of happiness in just waiting, not, yeah. and not jumping in with the wrong person. You're like, man, I don't like that feeling. That was a terrible version of myself, you know, like, it right. sucked feeling resentful and, um, right. and, and, you know, and angry, you know, like that's an icky feeling to have in a yeah. relationship. Yeah. And I really want to let people know that it's a very, again, it's a very subtle, slow burn. It is not again, second date person ends up in jail. You bail them out. Like that seems like a very clear answer. No, but after you've spent a long time of subtly small things, building up to bigger things, taking care of the person and sublimating your needs, you find yourself doing these behaviors that sometimes you look back and you think, I I can't believe I did. I mean, there's so my story of when I really realized something was wrong was when I was on my hands and knees on the hardwood floor, begging my ex-husband not to drink anymore. (laughs) And I thought, maybe he has a drinking problem, but I have got a problem. Like I'm a grown woman begging another person, something on the floor. Um, and that's when I realized that I had to figure out what was going on for me. Mm -hmm. Now, um, the last thing that I wanted to ask you about before we start to talk about the book was then, you know, are there situations where filing for a separation instead Mm -hmm. of going from, you know, marriage to divorce actually does make sense? Um, you know, if, if a couple has this realization that they've come into this role, like we're talking about, for an example, there could be multiple issues going on in a relationship, but let's say this is one of them, mm-hmm. um, that they can actually find a ways to be able to repair, um, or is there, you know, is, is separation sometimes I use the word cop out and I know that that's harsh and it sounds judgy mm. and I'm not trying to be judgy yeah. about it, but I also have seen couples where they file for separation, but you know, they have no intention of actually doing any repair work. It's just the delaying the inevitable because it feels more comfortable there. So, you know, what do you talk to people about whether separations are, you know, the right thing to do and when somebody needs to pull a bandaid, you know? Yeah, it's a really good question. I mean, I, I think we're, we're also touching in this question on kind of the lack of, um, like comprehensiveness or again, like nuance that the court system has, you know, that there isn't a better process for this. Um, some people, at least I, I believe in New York, you have to be separated before you can get a divorce. You know, so mm-hmm. some of that is also this kind of antiquated legal idea. I, I would, I will say that I think what you're saying about <clears throat> the cop-out is 
I think we need to think about separate. I think we need to think about the divorce procedure. I mean, even let's maybe just think about like dating marriage, just like all as a journey, like all as a process. Like, so I don't want anyone to get stuck in any part of that. Like that means don't get stuck in the separation part. Don't get stuck in the divorce part. Like we want to have movement and momentum, even in a relationship that you stay in. Right. And so I think if you can think of separation as, okay, we're going to separate now because, um, I want to take this slow. I want to see how this feels. I want to um, really feel into living in different places. Um, maybe we're going to do couples therapy. And I think it's easier for us not to return to the same house. Like I, I would say, if you have a plan of what is the separation going to give you, what is, what is your, what's the movement, but I would always want to know that there was movement. I think that a lot, you know, a lot of what happens is this like stuck and this stagnation and this, I, I really want to say like settling for something less than what you really deserve and want. And so I get what you're saying about like, if the separation, if it ends up feeling like that, that is not helpful for your intra-psychic experience. But if you can see it as part of the process, then that's okay. Um, I also just want to say like, it's a huge process. It's a huge emotional process. It's a huge financial process. It's a huge, like we talked about this before, like friends and family process. I mean, there's a lot of pieces to it. So if for, if, I mean, I guess I would always be curious, like, what's your goal with separation again, as opposed to like, let's not get divorced. Let's get separated. Right. Again, like if that's the dichotomy, then that's, there's no point, but if there's a goal, that's what I would say. Mm-hmm. Well, that's, and that's great advice there because what I was thinking was like your example of the, you know, and I don't know their situation of yeah. course, but let's just say, you know, you find a couple has gotten into this unhealthy pattern of behavior. And if you've got two willing people to go, oh my gosh, I had no idea. Let's, let's do this. That separation might be that space, the airspace two people would need to have in order to be able to work on it and decide that can we commit to this journey of improving our relationship and learning these things about each other, you know, with this end result and Mm -hmm. then come back together. To me, that feels like that's a legitimate thing to do. Cause like you said, sometimes it would be hard to come home. um, and allow for our personal introspection, you know, introspection, you know, because that's an important part of our healing process and our growth process is not what somebody else is doing or saying about us, but us having that time and, uh, you know, energy, you know, to do that on our own. And I can see a lot of really great features to, you know, separation. And then, like you said, um, I'm glad you pointed that out. The other, other element of it is it's the next step because you still don't want to, you know, kind of sum up, whatever bravery, courage, you know, belief that you deserve the better outcome, which is to just go and keep moving on in life. Um, you know, and so you're just kind of holding back, you know, kind of pumping the brake and hitting the gas at the same time. Exactly. Exactly. And I just thought of something else on me while you were speaking, which is if you are in a codependent relationship, it might, you might need that actual separation to figure out how you feel. I mean, I, I, I don't think I could have done that. I mean, I don't think I could have figured out what I need while my ex was still in my face because my codependency was so strong. Um, so that might also be part of the intervention is to get some space so that you can really figure out how do I feel without the person? What do I want? Some of us really might need that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I know at the end of my last relationship, I, you know, after this jumping back into dating and it feeling so, ugh, you know, I was like, I, I, took myself like just, and it was a year. And then I tried dating again. And then it was like, man, I'm really happy 
you know, having the space to do that because I did have a lot of codependent tendencies as well. And you have to almost go cold Turkey, you know, to be able to get, you know, cut yourself off from the feeling of needing to take care or solving somebody else's problems, you know, especially if it's a role that you've been playing for decades, you know, in your life. Yeah. And I think that you unconsciously get people in your life who confirm way you think you need to act. So the only way I was really able to, to stop under like being attracted to codependent people was to get to know some men who were not in my particular mm-hmm. situation. Cause I'm yes. heterosexual. Um, and then I realized, Oh, the most important strategy. I mean, the most important quality for me is actually humility in somebody. Um, and that was, I, I didn't even know that existed until I was able to meet some people who were that way. So I really think this is, it's really important to know that you need to stretch yourself to be around people who are different than you're usually around. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. Boy, that's a whole nother episode. Right yeah, there. exactly. I was going to say, we could talk about that in a whole other episode, yeah. dating after yeah. divorce. Yes. Oh gosh. Yeah, we will. <laughs> <laughs> okay. But let's talk about your book now. What inspired you to go ahead and write this book? Cause I know that you had started a, um, a program and we talked yeah. about your program after glow on last yeah. season. Um, and then this book came out of it. So, you know, what was the yeah. evolution of the, of the book here? Yeah. So I created the Afterglow program online, which is available to people to have video courses and teaching through me. Um, because when I was going through divorce, I didn't, couldn't find a comprehensive program that in, that included psychological, um, treatments and research-based programs to handle lots of areas of divorce. And so I really wanted that to be available. And then I wanted to write the book because I Really, when I think about the book, I think about it being in the library. I think about those those mornings that I would schlep my kids, you know, with, you know, food all over me, having showered to the story hour and how haggard and scared and alone I felt because I had just kicked my ex-husband out and what it would have been like if I could take out a book like that. And so I just want it to be accessible to everybody. Divorce hits people financially in an incredibly difficult way. And so this book is my way to give back. Um, so people can heal. I really believe that if people heal through their divorce pain and see that they have a next chapter, that they will can do miraculous things and that the world will shift. Like, I I really believe that there is this holding back of people's ability to, to live a full life that we just have to shed because there's so much amazing potential. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Uh, you know, I, and I, confirming for anybody that's been sitting there and hasn't gone through divorce, like I said, I'm a seasoned pro at this and life has gotten better, even though it took a couple of tumbles in between every step was the step in the right direction. And there was always a, there was a positive outcome. I know it sounds ridiculous to say that, but every part of it was a journey towards, you know, a better, a better place for myself. And I have, you know, um, I, yeah, I sit there everyone. and I do right. Everyone was different and every experience was different. And again, there's no, you know, we don't count how many jobs you've had. Why are we counting how many marriages somebody has? I mean, I think of, I think of divorces, graduate school for relationship training, graduate school for understanding yourself. Like that's how you've learned about yourself. Some people have done it different ways. There's no shame. Yeah. And if you think about it, the difference between divorce and any relationship, and a lot of people have them is simply that you stood up and you signed a legal document. Right. right. Other than that, it's okay for us to understand that relationships change over time as people change over time. It's just that one thing, that one legal thing has that whole other stigma associated with it that makes it feel like 
um, you know, that that promise was like impenetrable and unbreakable. And it's like, yeah, uh, it's a, it's a legal document so that you guys can like claim each other on your tax returns and, you know, have, right. I mean, you know, there's all these That's things that great. come with That it. started yeah. with like deep misogyny and white supremacy. I mean, it's, it's all, it's also about like being someone's property. I mean, it is, it is not in any way, you know, if, if it has nothing to do with our overall well-being. No one, no one thinks like, having a contract helps well-being, right? This is right. a business decision. It's not right. a, a well-being decision. Right, right, totally. Um, and so you still have Afterglow, you have the book. I love the principle yeah. behind the book. I love Thanks. ladders, right? Access points, you know, the podcast, everybody's listening. This is a free access point. Your next step is buying the yes. book, especially yeah. if you are, because one in four women end up in poverty yeah. through divorce. That's divorce. astonishing. Um, and so- and the- and the book has in it, um, you know, tips and tools and really as if you went to a therapist and you got home weekly homework. I mean, it has journal prompts. It has active things that you can do to really shift how you're feeling. And right now, if people pre-order the book, um, I'm offering three free workshops um, that are exclusive for people who pre-order the book. One about living in the afterglow, light at the other side of divorce dating again, as we touched on, and then also about co-parenting. So if people pre-order the book, then they're enrolled in those bonuses. Oh, that's actually a great, great bonus. And so links to the book and to how to access the the free resources and stuff will be in the show notes. Um, and then as well as uh, a link to your afterglow program. Definitely that too. Yeah, for sure. Okay. Well, cool. And then I'll give you a link. Thank you. I'll give you a link also to pre if you, where you can pre-order and then get registered for all those, um, you know, those, uh, workshops. those things, the yeah. things <laughs> sometimes words are hard. <laughs> words are hard. right? Now. <laughs> awesome. Well, Liz, this has been amazing. I enjoy talking with you and, um, and it being able to hang out with you virtually someday when the world opens up, you are still on my list of people to, you know, yes. venture out to the See East in coast and meet up with. Yeah, totally. Yes. So thank you so much. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Cool. Thank you for listening to one broken mom. You can find podcast notes on my website at amiqueercone.com. And there I'll provide all links to all of the resources that we mentioned on the episode. Also, if you have any questions, comments, or ideas for other episodes, feel free to send me an email. And if you are interested in sponsoring the show, I'd love to have you be a part of the team. Finally, if you like what you hear, please share the podcast and leave a review so that others can find it. We are all here to get better together. I am the host, Ami Kirkoni, and as always, I am super grateful to have you as a listener. Until next time, have a great day.